Welcome to Divorce TV and today we have Philip Coleman and Elizabeth Coe will be joining us talking about contact centres because there's some things you need to know about those that some of you may not. We're having a shared story with Alice and a healing with Regina Brancato Dunderdale so get ready for a wonderful relaxation at the end. But we're starting now with the news. Okay, for this first one, I'm going to give you a trigger warning. It does, uh, we do talk about suicide, but I promise you after that, we will not be talking about um, such scary things. But I wanted to share this with you. I think it's still an important story. It's uh, in the Wigan Today, and it's about the tragic death of a Wigan mum who was worried about her future. It says that... Anne Moss, 49, had mixed feelings about the end of her marriage, the sale of the family home and her future as a single woman. Bolton Coroner's Court heard her husband Keith had reassured her he would still support her even when their divorce was completed. But on January the 16th he found Mrs Moss dead on the sofa at their home on Viola Close in Standish. The inquest heard that she sent text messages that evening to two friends in which she was fretting about the future. Mr Moss did not see her again until around 11am the next day when she appeared to be sleeping on a sofa covered by a duvet. After walking the dog he saw she was still there and became concerned after noticing how white her arm looked. An ambulance was called but Mrs Moss had already died. Police found she had written three messages on her body indicating that she wanted to die and a glass containing the remnants of a cocktail of drugs was nearby. Toxicological tests found Mrs Moss had taken a combination of medication including various antidepressants, sleeping tablets and painkillers. Five of them were at levels higher than, than therapeutic doses. The inquest heard Mrs Moss had several health problems including uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia and facial pain. She also had mental health issues and was prescribed antidepressants several times including for anxiety and depression in 1996 and stress related problems between 2003 and 2016. She reported having suicidal thoughts in September 2020 when she had decided to end the marriage. Mrs Moss had been prescribed codeine and tramadol in January 2021 after fracturing her knee with a record showing she knew not to take them at the same time. Coroner Catherine Cundy recorded that she died by suicide. If you, if you need someone to talk to, call the Samaritans 116123, free of charge, anytime. The reason I've shared this story isn't just uh, because the stress of divorce and the fear of future can be a massive trigger to people who are already vulnerable. It is actually to, um, when you're adding that level of stress, do be careful about not just tramadol but some of these painkiller drugs when you're in a, a difficult mental state do increase the risk of suicidal thoughts and behaviors so when you're planning your peaceful and wonderfully done executed divorce where you're going to put the children at the heart of it also consider where you are emotionally and mentally and be be very careful about making sure you have the right support in place and if you're on drugs that have a suicide risk particularly painkillers try and find other drugs that have uh, less suicide risk because uh, this does seem to be a recurring problem that's why i wanted to bring it up now we shall move on to a completely banal story as an antidote <phone rings> 
So the Daily Star, always good for a for a, an alternative story. Married England and Germany couple admit fearing a divorce while in Wembley crowd. A married couple that support England and Germany have admitted they fear a divorce, having been in the Wembley crowd for the Euro 2020 uh, crash. Now this, they're doing this for 2020 and we're in now 2021, so this is how desperate they clearly are for, for news. Um, the reason I brought this one up was simply it is stressful when you've got football going on and breakups can happen. So I, if any of you have had a trouble during this recent football season uh, and ongoing, and it's affecting uh, things, not just your, your marriage, but possibly you maybe already divorced and you're having problems around it, please put some advice in the, um, in the comments for other, parent, uh, other members of the public who might be watching. Um, the one I wanted was, I liked is a man in an England 1996 away kit, it's obviously been happening, a thing for a long time, and a woman in a Germany home shirt was snapped in the stands while holding up a piece of cardboard which read, this could end in divorce. So uh, last but not least, we're moving on to Spears. So Spears magazine has the title of an article said, To the victor, the spoils. When ultra high net worth divorce becomes a battle, this is how top lawyers win. Um, it, I just want to pull out some experts, excerpts rather from this article. The first, it begins with Gwyneth Paltrow was celebrating her 38th birthday in Tuscany when she first realised that her 13-year marriage to Coldplay singer Chris Martin was doomed. In an effort to make the split as painless as possible, the couple discovered an approach dubbed Conscious Uncoupling, a five-step process of divorcing in a positive, amicable way. At the time, the move was widely mocked. You may well remember that. The Guardian writer Anne Perkins described it as deluded tosh and the Daily Mail columnist Jan Moyer called it sickly self-serving twaddle. Well we know where they stand on peaceful divorce then. However seven years later as Paltrow pointed out recently the concept has permeated the breakup culture. Although uttering the phrase conscious uncoupling may still make non-LA residents cringe Paltrow is right, says the article. And the central philosophy that ending a marriage should be as amicable as possible has been one of the dominant themes in family law in recent years, reflected in the emergence of practices such as collaborative divorce, it's where you have lawyers but you don't go to court, hybrid mediation, early neutral evaluation and a number of other forms of alternative dispute resolution. Next April, we'll see the introduction in the UK of no-fault divorces thanks to a change in the law in England and Wales that removes the need to apportion blame to either party. It is yet another step towards a less adversarial divorce culture. Despite best intentions, collaborative processes, the article says, and mediation can often play out to the advantage of one spouse at the expense of the other, it claims, particularly as one person is often devastated and can't really think straight, says Frances Hughes, a senior partner at Hughes Fowler Carruthers. Well, they would say that, wouldn't they? Getting into scrappy litigation isn't good for anybody. Absolutely right. But Hughes adds that clients can end up with a long time to regret it if they don't get a decent financial deal. What doesn't make sense to me is if they don't go in for the fight, that doesn't mean they don't get advice from a solicitor. So why would the advice be only any good if you're spending vast amounts of money? It doesn't quite wash, does it? Once the decision to fight has been taken, things sometimes turn quite nasty quite quickly. 
with, with advice like we've just heard, it's hardly surprising. A prominent family lawyer tells Spears about a client who instructed his barrister to make his wife cry during proceedings. It will be my pleasure, sir, said the barrister. Some wealthy men, the lawyer notes, see divorce as a war of attrition in which they are likely to prevail. They'll say, my wife won't have the stomach for the fight. Uh, it is definitely used as a bullying tactic, but it doesn't work so well if the wife, or if it's the other way around, the husband says, uh, this isn't the article by the way, this is my personal view, if they go, well, if you want to go to court and spend vast amounts of money, that's up to you, I'm personally going to be using unbundled, service from a, service, unbundled services from a solicitor, so uh, I will be getting legal advice, but I'll be doing a lot of it myself, so I'm not going to spend the money you're going to spend, but you be my guest. So you don't need to be bullied. Um, sometimes that can be enough for them to realise that this isn't working because they haven't scared you, and, and then they might be more willing to come to the table. But back to the article, it says, uh, resilience, however, is just one of the several factors that can decide the outcome of a split. I like it's some kind of marathon, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Before Brexit, divorces with a connection to the UK and, and another European country would generally be subject to a first-past-the-post rule, meaning the country in which the proceedings were first issued took priority. Following the UK's exit from the EU, a divorce filed in multiple jurisdictions must now usually be heard in the country to which the parties are most strongly linked. This opens the possibility for further disputes. So you can end up having a good old expensive battle about where you petition for divorce. That's before you've even got started. Often it's not a case of the headline figure awarded in a divorce, which is very true, but the actual sum that one is actually likely to receive. In these big international cases, sometimes it's better just to do the best deal you can and be sure that you're going to get the money, says Harper, author of a book entitled International Trust and Divorce Litigation. Very good advice because, you know, just because you're awarded a certain amount, if you're going to spend the next 10 years trying to get your hands on it, it's not so good. Social media opens up a new frontier for separated couples to do battle. Accusations do not need to be founded on truth in order to become widely shared across platforms. The actress Amber Heard accused her ex-husband Johnny Depp and his lawyer Adam Waltman of deploying Twitter trolls and Russian bots in an attempt to interfere with her reputation, career and livelihood in a lawsuit last year. Warman denied the accusations, but the exchange illustrates how such platforms could be weaponized in an effort to influence proceedings. It doesn't make sense. Why would they try to make her earn less money? You want your the person you're divorcing to be as financially successful as possible because then you don't have to give them so much money. So it's not, not it doesn't make sense what she's saying there. But people do get very paranoid when they're going through divorce. Stuart Leach, head of litigation and disputes at Montfort and, and a Spears top 10 reputation manager, says tactics have become much more aggressive. He helps clients to plan for reputational risks in order to manage them when they arise. The role that we take is to make sure when this litigation is over, you're in the best place you can be to move on with your life, whether you win, lose or draw, he says. Of course, the best way to keep it really, really quiet and out of the media is to use collaborative law or mediation and just stay out of court altogether.
And I'd like now to welcome our guests for this evening. We've got Elizabeth Coe and Phil Coleman. And we're going to be talking about contact centres, which uh, can be a very upsetting con um, area, particularly for dads, who are often the ones who may be forced to meet their ch child or children there, often feeling that it's completely unjust and unfair. And we will get on to that. But first of all, I'd really like it, Phil, if you could share with me the horror story that you told me when we were talking. And the reason we're doing this, everyone, is if you're going to use a contact centre, you need to be sure that you use the right kind of contact centre. So take it away, Phil. Absolutely. So in the UK, the law around child contact doesn't, um, it's not as strict as it would be for, say, childminders or nurseries. So what the National Association of Child Contact Centres does is provides accreditation to make sure these centres are safe and appropriate places. However, because the law is the way that it is, people choose to be a member of NAC. It's not mandatory they do so. There are safeguards in place, like the court won't use them or CAFCAS won't use them if they don't do that. But even so, anybody can open a contact centre. This horror story. We were working, well, we became aware of a case down south where a family had been through court proceedings and the judge that was hearing those proceedings had made an order for contact to take place. Dad decided that he didn't want to pay the costs for contact. Um, it would have been about £40 an hour, something like that. Um, and he decided that he didn't want to pay those costs. Why, why should he have to pay to see his children? So instead of going through that process, he decided to pay NAC considerably more money um, in order to attempt to open a contact centre of his own. Now, the only reason that anybody found out about that is because of the thorough checks and the processes that we have in place in order to prevent such things happening. This gentleman wasn't qualified to run a contact centre. He didn't have DBS checks and wasn't planning to get DBS checks. If anything, this would have been a really unsafe place for a child to have contact. But even more so because it was part of a potential game that he was playing at the time. And we can be quite sure that it was a game because he sent his ex-wife the referral forms for his own contact centre um, so that she could complete those in order for presumably him to supervise his own contact with his child um, and that would have been what the court ordered him to do because he would have been using an accredited contact centre so without our checks and our systems that could have been a really dangerous situation taking place there. So that's a really serious thing so um, so in summary if you're using any contact centre do make sure it's uh, how do you spell that N-A treble C NHCC. You can check. Yeah, you can check if a contact centre is accredited by going to our website. Um, there's a big yellow button on the website. You can't miss it. It says find a centre on it. If you click that and then type in your postcode, you can see all of the centres in your area. And if they're on that list, we've been there, we've checked them, we've written reports, we continually monitor them. They are safe places for your children to go and visit parents that no longer live with them. And when we finish uh, tonight, I will be sending you links to the different platforms and you'll be able to put that link in for, for the website for people. Um, Elizabeth, I'd like to bring you in to talk about, there's a, there's a lot of stigma that goes with contact centres, but actually I think it's very uh, unhelpful uh, because they serve an incredibly important um, purpose. Perhaps you could talk a little bit about that. 
Well, they're um, neutral places for uh, parents to go to. Uh, they're non-judgmental. Um, they don't take sides for either parent, so they don't really want to hear um, blaming of each, uh, each of the parents. They want to be able to provide um, a neutral, safe, happy environment for a child. Um, and we want to, or the contact centre wants to make sure the child has the best possible experience that they can. And a contact centre, we decide, you know, is not forever. It's only a stepping stone while parents are going through the initial stages of separation when things are a bit difficult. So um, they, they are asked when they go to reviews to look at the parenting plan, to think about how they m might move their contact on so that there's no expectation that they will in be in a contact centre forever, um, that they need to be thinking long term about being involved with their children um, because children have uh, school days, they have birthday parties they go to, they have family occasions, Christmases, birthdays. So it's very important that we engage with both parents to try and help them to make decisions long term about how they might uh, communicate and carry on their contact in the future away from a centre. And I always always encourage parents, uh, all parents, to create a parenting plan, a co-parenting plan. Have various resources as well in the in the best way to divorce app that they can access that. But I ha until I talked to to you both, I didn't realise that that was part of what they get, if you like, when they um, use contact centres. And I think that's fantastically useful because so few people bother to create them, especially the ones that most need to. Um, Phil, with there. There can be an abusive use of contact centres sometimes, um, but it still, you know, it, it still allows the other parent access to their child. So perhaps you could say a little bit about this and reassurance that you can give, particularly for those, um, maybe a dad who's been accused of things that they don't believe to be true and they're feeling it's some kind of sort of punishment. Perhaps give them a little bit of yeah. of um, advice around their attitude towards that and how best to turn things around for themselves. Absolutely. Um, so in terms of the abusive use of contact centres, um, something that we see very, very often, something that contact centres see very regularly is that a parent, whether um, a mother or a father, they are in a relationship with the other parent. They are a perfectly adequate parent at that point. Um, because of the way legal aid works now, um, domestic abuse might or might not have taken place. But thinking back to the news stories you were just talking about where there needs to be winners and losers, um, quite often a, the children may be used as weapons and a, a contact centre may form part of that. Um, sometimes that actually happens. Sometimes parents get very paranoid and they feel like it's happening even if maybe it's not. And very often a contact centre may not be able to unpick that, but actually they don't need to unpick that because a contact centre is a very child-centred environment. What they are most interested in is what works for the children and they're not interested in the parents being winners or losers so much. So what Elizabeth was saying to you before is that a contact centre is a short-term stepping stone. We don't want you to be having contact with your children in a contact centre. That's not what's best for you and it's not what's best for your children. We want you to be having contact somewhere other than a contact centre. 
might be McDonald's, it might be the park, it might be the family home, anywhere, but somewhere natural and somewhere where you feel comfortable. What a contact centre does is it provides you with a bridge in order to be able to achieve that. So when you get to the contact centre, um, quite often communication's broken down, there's a lack of trust, um, you're not able to communicate with the other parent for some reason. And whether it be supported or supervised contact, the centre will help you to build that relationship back up with your child, maybe learn how to play or learn how to feed or those things that you might not have had experience in before. But equally as importantly, they will help you to build bridges with um, the child's other parent because what the child needs is for the two parents to be able to communicate with one another about the child. The, the child doesn't need you to be best friends, but the child does need you to be able to talk and, and be at least comfortable in each other's presence. And the parenting plans, handovers, all of the things like that that a contact centre can offer, over the kind of three to six months that you might be using a service, they will help you to build that trust and develop that relationship. It's no magic bullet, but it's the bridge and it's about crossing, it's about starting that journey over the bridge so that you can have the kind of relationship with your children that, that you would like to have. In terms so you, of... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, no, so, gonna say... so for the for the for a parent who um, maybe it's uh, for example their father who's feeling uh, aggrieved that they've got to go through this whole rigmarole, actually it could be the best thing that ever happened to them because if they're not communicating well um, with the other parent, this is going to help them not just communicate well but also what I was hearing um, help them with the parenting because if they've not spent time maybe they're quite young children they've been working all the time they've got a new skill set to learn and if they've got a co-parent who's not helping them with that at all um in what ways can can the perhaps elizabeth you could uh illustrate a little bit in what ways that perhaps nervous dad who's got these kids and they're in this difficult environment how can it be made easier for them to to communicate and support the children if they haven't got you know, got that skill set at the moment well they they um volunteers in the contact centers will help them to some degree um they probably need to speak to somebody who might help them a pair, their own parents or um family members that might know about these things but actually parents who are having contact with the child just need to accept they need to go at the child's pace they need to know that yes it they don't want to be at a contact center but they need to think about what the end game is and the end game is to ensure that they have a good relationship with that child long term and that that needs to be built up following the separation of the parents who knows how the separation happened whether it was through violence whether the the parent found a new partner and left the home for whatever reason. Children sometimes resent that and sometimes that parent has to rebuild the relationship with the child and the contact centre will certainly help that. And um, long term, we always say, begin with the end in mind. The end is a long term good relationship with the child. And sometimes you have to sacrifice and say, oh, this isn't fair, that isn't fair. Why should I have to go to a contact centre? Why should I have to pay to do this or that? Actually, what is it you want? Do you want a good long-term relationship with that child? Because that might mean that you've got to build up to that. And yes, it might fe feel unfair at the moment, but actually just think about what the end game is. 
That's great advice. And and just to finish, I mean, are there, for example, to if you've got young children, are there toys there? We you know what for those who've never been to one. Perhaps you can both give a little bit of an idea, each of you, what 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 to expect. Come on, Phil, you go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so in a contact centre, there's two different types. There's supervised and supported. Typically at a supervised contact centre, you will have a room of your own. Um, the toys and the equipment in that room um, will be appropriate for the age of your child or children. And you will be invited to bring other toys or activities that you know your children might enjoy so that you can do things with them. Um, it's usually perfectly okay to have birthday parties, for example, um, and do all sorts of other things in a contact session that you might miss if your children aren't living with you. At a supported contact centre, it's very similar but slightly different. So there will be toys, books, games, activities, painting, lots of things to get involved in. But very often you're not in a space of your own. So you may be in a much larger room and there may be other families there as well. Um, the reason for that is that they are very often charitable, voluntary services that are offering that the people aren't getting paid. So they're not making observations in a supported centre. So they don't need to be one-to-one -one with you. It's fine for you to be the other side of the room engaging in a quiet activity in a book corner. And they, they don't necessarily need to offer you the support that you would get at a supervised centre. But they're very... I, I know that people have a view of contact centers i've heard it myself cold dark church halls um and 10 years ago they may well have been but nac has worked very hard to ensure that contact centers aren't like that anymore and actually the bigger challenge we have is people's perception of contact centers um we're very proud that contact centers are bright warm friendly child focused environments where families can really get a lot from if they're willing to put in when they get there. Brilliant. And, and Elizabeth, just to finish with, if a, if a parent is having trouble access, accessing their children um, and they go, okay, at least let me see them in a contact centre, um, that kind of combusts some of the excuses possibly of the, of the other parent. Is that something that they can demand that the courts will tend to automatically allow because it would have to be pretty serious for them not to be able to especially if they're willing to be supervised well uh, they could if if they need to be supervised then they would go to a um a, a specific supervised contact center and the court would actually suggest that but um cont any parent can ring up any contact center and arrange to go and would communicate with the other parent and say I would like to go to a contact centre. I would like to go to that contact centre. Um, are you happy for that? And then they, they, the person, the non-resident parent, could ring up the contact centre and arrange for a visit to the contact centre, talk about it, and then the contact centre will talk to the resident parent and ask them to come to the contact centre and talk about it and bring the children in to have a look at it so that, so that everybody knows um, what you know how what they'll be doing they can also look on our website our website in um, has a lot of information for children and parents about the use of contact centers um, and uh, where and what each contact center offers whether it's supervised supported handovers 
um, and uh, whether it costs, whether it costs money or not. Um, and most contact centres that people put their addresses in, they will show how many contact centres are within 20 mile radius of where they live. Fabulous. That's great. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. And and you'll be sticking some links in, won't you, a bit later on for people to access them. I hope to yeah. get you back again soon. Bye for now. OK. Thank you. Bye. So don't be scared of contact centres. They're an amazing tool. They're not forever but they can make, be the difference between seeing your children and not seeing them. So don't get all ego hurt about it. Use these good tools and, um, and at least as they said, as Elizabeth said, keep the end goal in mind. So quick QR masterclass. Here we have the love section of the um, Divorce Masterclass, which is in the Best Way to Divorce app. And uh, we are talking about the Children's Bill of Rights. And mo I'm moving through this on each one. I love these. These are by Robert Emery, PhD, who wrote this as Professor of Psychology at the University of Virginia. And he talks about number four, the right not to have to choose one of your parents over the other. And you say you know this but so many children are put in that position so the thing to ask yourself is uh, you know you know that those children are 50 percent one of you 50 percent of the other don't try and chop them down the middle and play king solomon the damage that's done if you do make them choose it goes into adulthood it, it very rarely ever heals it's incredibly serious so never never make them choose and ask yourself if you are co-parenting right now do i ever do i ever make them choose even in subtle ways because it's, e it's easy to make these mistakes we all do it so think about that be aware watch catch yourself out if you're doing it and put it on the fridge the right not to have to choose one of your parents over the other Right, we're going to have a shared story, which is, is one I love. I have played this before, but you might not have seen it. And it's a recording of an interview with Alice, who talks very candidly about her experience. She's kind of on the other side now, and she was generous enough to share some of that journey with us. went into the guest bedroom on the 1st of October 2017 Wow! saying I don't want to be married to you and then just leaving you to deal with it all which, yeah. often, which often he lost his job within two weeks of that he lost his very well-paid job and got paid a huge settlement but again just stayed in the guest bedroom and then I was working at a local prep school um, offsetting school fees so I continued doing that, but no money was coming into the house at all. Yeah. And we both lived together, separated for nine months till he got a job the following May. Which and then he still stayed until the August, um, because I think he just it was just like in a sort of no man's land, you know, after nine months of just existing together, 
I think you said something like, I could carry on doing this forever. What's the big deal? I think meeting you was very informing because it's almost like your story was worse than mine. Yes. So that cheered me up. It's a bit like a car crash. I've got various analogies that will help people in the first stage understand the chaos. So number one is I heard someone on your site talking about this car crash and all of the glass comes in. And in a movie, it goes, woo, woo, woo. So there's that. And it lasts for months. All of the glass comes in. And you just sit there in a broken car wreck because no one else is going to do anything in shock. So, you know, there's the car crash analogy. There's the sort of falling, like Alice in Wonderland, down into a tunnel. And I just kept feeling like I was falling, but there was nothing to catch me. And that went on for probably a year. There was no bottom to this falling. The analogy for the guilt was the rubble. I used to look around at all these lumps and bumps of, you know, things I could probably make something out of as a fixer, as most women are. But the rubble that was left, that was my choice. What am I going to do with these little bits and pieces? I live on an estate here and all the houses were finished in 1915. And all of the front boundary fences have these black sort of volcanic rocks and bits of broken brick. And obviously it's from the war and you know bits and pieces people just made do and it's kind of like that you sort of think well that's a nice little remnant I'll keep that and there's a nice bit of rubble if I put with that and that and that fits together and that's the beginning of the rebuilding I don't know when you know that starts happening it might not be for months if you're being kind to yourself but you begin to see the rubble and think ah there's a bit of promise in this rubble I wear my wedding ring and people say, oh, so you're not really over him. And I said to my big sister, who's very wise, I said, what do I do about like the jewellery he gave me and the nice things? She said, Alice, there's no rule book. And I was like, yeah. I mean, I wear this ring because I love it, because I made a bunch of promises that I kept. For me, that represents a happiness in my life and a great moment in my life and a commitment that, that you know, it's all quite happy, that ring. Yeah. Why does it have to go in a box just because my husband lives down the road and has bought a three bed flat? You know, those are the things that you can take your time about, whether it's the bed or the, the rug or a wedding ring. You choose. You know, you're left with so much stuff you can't change yeah. that, you know, there are times where I couldn't wear this wedding ring because it's too painful. But equally, now I've framed it how I perceive that and people find it unusual. But then that's the beauty of it is you can be unusual. I found a lot of people telling me, oh, well, he was never really around. So that was, you know, preparation for where you are now. You're the sort of person who will just get on with it. You're the sort of person that always comes out right side up. I found all that deeply annoying in in my grief and in my journey. And I refused to believe it because I was still in the wellowing pit of grief and shock and anger. And still now people tell me how I'm supposed to be about things. But you're right. I think... As much as I hate to say it, one of my very good best friends said, Alice, when this divorce eventually happens, you'll be financially better off, emotionally better off, and therefore physically better off because you're carrying this stress that's got to go somewhere. You're going to be better off in every way. Well, if I could have punched a clean out right there in the bar, I would have done. Because she's happily married, what would she know? But actually, in this very long journey, and if you're patient enough, and if I don't come across as cheesy, yes, there's a whole new person that cracks out of that egg at some point, hopefully, for a lot of people. But I also think you have to live with some brokenness, some scars, some baggage, whatever. You know, like I am a better off person and I now stand my own ground 
know my own mind as if I didn't before, but even more so because it's tested me in every single way and made me the strong, proud, capable woman that I am now. It is a sense of achievement at the end and no one knows when the end is, it takes forever, but eventually it is the end. Thank you, Alice. I love her stories and uh, she's just, she doesn't meant her words. <laughs> she says exactly like it is. I can completely relate to everything she said there, um, but ultimately triumphant. So we are going to into our healing now. And uh, if you haven't already downloaded the Best Way to Divorce app, uh, or you know someone who should, bestwaytodivorce.online will take them straight there. It's a free resource, it's international, and it's got lots of good stuff in it. Now, on to our healing. So we're now going to bring in the lovely Regina. You're doing uh, something to do with the sunshine, isn't it? Perhaps let us know what yeah. what we got uh, yeah. what we've got coming. Because it is summertime, I'm going to guide you through a deep relaxation where you will find the summer within, regardless of what the weather is doing. So you will always have the warmth of the side. That's wonderful. So I'm going to t let you take it away, <clears throat> and at the end, just do something obvious so i know that you've finished and then um and say your <laughs> goodbyes and uh, so just so i know not yeah. to, to come in at the wrong moment thanks so much regina okay thank you so as you know it is summer the days are long and warm so i'm gonna guide you through this deep relaxation and all you have to do for now is to be comfortable. Whether you are sitting or lying down, just make yourself comfortable. And when you get comfortable, close your eyes. And you choose to close your eyes because you know very well that you can open your eyes anytime. So just for this moment, close your eyes and keep them closed. Breathe normally and relax the muscles around your eyes. Relax your forehead, relax your jaws, and breathe normally. And you choose to do that because you know you are safe, you are supported, and you're grounded. grounded. Now pay attention to the quality of relaxation that you have around your eyes and your face, and spread this relaxation throughout your body from the top of your head to the tip of your toes. And as long as you hold on to this kind of relaxation, the whole body is deeper, deeper, deeper relaxed. You can feel your arms relaxing. You can feel your legs relaxing, your fingers and your toes. And you go into a deeper state of relaxation because you know you are safe. You are supported and you are grounded. Breathe normally and listen to what I'm going to say. And you are deeper into relaxation, deeper and deeper, deeper than that, much deeper than that. And now, take a deep breath in 
And when you breathe out, go to your head and relax your mind. And you relax your mind by allowing your thoughts to come in and out of your awareness. Your thoughts are in flow. Your thoughts are in movement. There is no focus, just in and out of your awareness. It is as if you are thinking of everything and nothing at the same time as you go deeper into relaxation. Because you know you are safe, you are supported and you are grounded. <clears throat> when you relax your mind, you allow your unconscious mind to come through. The unconscious mind where you have all your memories and memories are like a photo album. Memories feel like looking through the photo album. So right now I want you to choose one memory of a summer day, perhaps your favorite memory of a summer day, a good memory of a summer day. And look at this memory as if you are looking at a photograph. And look at it right now. And then you take a deep breath in and when you breathe out see what you see and perhaps you see the sea. Or perhaps you see a stream or you see mountains or you see people around you, family, friends. See what you see now, what you saw then, and stay with it. Have a good look at your picture and relax as you go deeper and deeper into relaxation. You take a deep breath in and when you breathe out, hear now what you heard then. Perhaps you hear the sound of the waves touching the shore. Perhaps you hear the bubbling of a stream. Perhaps you hear birds or the sound of the wind ruffling the leaves. Or perhaps you hear now the laughter of friends and family or a conversation that you had then as you go deeper and deeper into relaxation, knowing that you are support, you are safe and you are grounded. And stay with the sounds for a while. And then take a deep breath in and with a breathe out, notice what you notice. Perhaps you notice smells or you notice the vibrant colors of the summer. Perhaps you notice the taste of your favorite summer food. Or perhaps you even notice that you are smiling right now as you go deeper and deeper into relaxation. Now, take another deep breath in and when you breathe out, feel now what you felt then. Perhaps you feel the warmth of the sun gently touching your skin. And with that you feel more relaxed 
as you go deeper and deeper into relaxation. Now I want you to take a deep breath in. When you breathe out, focus on the center of your chest, your heart area. And take with you the picture and all the feelings that you had from your head to your heart. And notice what you notice. Notice what feelings you have there now. Feel the warmth of the sun in your heart, taking over the whole chest area. The warmth that is nourishing, the warmth that is comforting, the warmth that means kindness and compassion to yourself, the warmth that means joy, happiness and love you have for yourself first and then others and perhaps you hear the sound of your heart whatever makes your heart sing and perhaps now you notice the deepest desires of your heart and you stay with it enjoying the warmth in your heart, in your chest area as you go deeper and deeper into relaxation much deeper than that because you know you are safe you are supported and you are grounded now take a deep breath in and when you breathe out focus on your stomach focus on your gut and take everything from your heart into your gut, deep inside your gut. Take the warmth of the sun deep inside your gut, the warmth that gives you strength to achieve everything you want to achieve now and in the days to come. The warmth deep into your stomach that gives you courage to keep going, to achieve everything you want to achieve now and in the days to come. The warmth that gives you courage to say yes and gives you courage to say no, deep into your stomach as you go deeper and deeper into relaxation because you know you are safe. You are supported and you are guided. Take a deep breath in and when you breathe out, feel the warmth in your, spirit, in your stomach that gives you empowerment to be yourself now and in the days to come. And stay with it. As you go deeper into relaxation, take a deal, and when you breathe out, go back to your heart, taking everything you had in your stomach, and you stay in your heart area. Stay with the warmth of the sun within. And then perhaps one day, when you're feeling a bit off, a bit under the weather, 
and and regardless of what's happening in the world out there, all you have to do is to go inside, because there you know with a kind of knowing, you know you, you always find the warmth of the sun. And now I want you to take a deep breath in, and when you breathe out, wake up, come back to the room, tap your body if you need to wake up a bit more, or, or stay into this state of relaxation. And I hope you enjoy the healing. Thank you for watching and have a wonderful summer. So bring the summer right inside. So even if you're in England and we have horrible weather occasionally, you'll still feel sunny inside. Thank you so much for that. That was beautiful. And um, I'm just gonna add this to the broadcast that's been uh, posted already by NAC. Thank you to uh, our guests from NAC and also to Regina and the lovely Alice in her video. And in the war of divorce on the battlefield of family separation, always, always make peace your weapon of choice. <laughs>